Hello, everyone. Welcome to this special edition of Employment Matters, brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm your host today, Susan Deneker, with the law firm of Steptoe & Johnson in West Virginia. On the program, we span the globe and receive updates on critical issues from ELA members in each region. Today, we have an exciting topic. We're going to talk about the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision in the Groff case regarding religious accommodations and what employers need to do to follow that decision and make sure they're complying with Title VII. I'm really excited today because joining me on the program is my colleague, Parker Thaney, who's a partner with Shaw Rosenthal in Maryland. Parker, welcome to the program. We're so glad to have you. How are you today? Thanks, Susan. I'm doing well. Looking forward to talking a little bit about this case. It's an important one for employers to keep their eye on. It really is. And folks that follow our program and have heard my podcast know that I'm kind of a legal geek when it comes to these issues. And this one is exciting because after about 50 years, we have a shift in the landscape here with what the United States Supreme Court did in Groff. So, Parker, tell us about it. What happened? Sure. So, I think what is most interesting to me is that all of us practitioners see this as a shift in the landscape, and I'm sure that our colleagues in human resources do as well. But the Supreme Court really told us, hey, you guys have been getting it all wrong. You've been reading the law completely incorrectly, and let us help you understand. We're going to clarify. We're not going to change the law, but we're going to clarify what the law has always been so that you all can start following it the way that you should have been all along. So the case really focuses in on a narrow slice of Title VII anti-discrimination law. And that is, what is the appropriate standard for an undue hardship in a religious accommodation case? Parker, I love the point you made that the Supreme Court went out of its way to say, we're not changing anything. We're just clarifying something. But in fact, this is a pretty big shift in the law, isn't it? It is, Susan. I think one of the things that we in the employment law world really became accustomed to during COVID was distinguishing when it came to sort of mandatory vaccination policies that so many employers were implementing. There's a big distinction between what's that undue hardship standard under the Americans with Disabilities Act, and then what's the undue hardship standard under Title VII. And we came to learn pretty quickly that The undue hardship standard under Title VII is going to be a lot different. Even though we're talking about the same exact request for exemption to the same exact policy, when it was for a medical reason, we're looking for big-time operational impacts, extremely high costs. And for religious accommodations, we kept using this term, you know, de minimis cost, right? And that term has its genesis in an old case called TWA versus Hardison. And that was a case in which someone who worked for TWA Airlines was looking to take the day off on the Sabbath. And there was a discussion about whether that person should be allowed to take that day off for religious reasons. And ultimately, in that case, the court said that in this context, and the context there is really important to the Groff decision, In this context, which involved a seniority program that the union that represented the employees and the employer had negotiated, that really it's not going to be an acceptable approach to 
give this person a day off when it would undermine the rest of the seniority program. And the reason I say that it's important is because seniority programs are given this special place in Title VII where they're given elevated importance as compared to most other employment practices. And you saw the court in Groff really latch onto that. But the court in Partisan said, well, gee, to allow partisan to have this time off for the Sabbath, that would impose more than a de minimis cost on the employer. And so we're going to move forward. But the court in Groff really said, we can't focus in on just that de minimis cost. We've got to talk a little bit more about what the rest of the case said. And the rest of the case in Hardison really did go into, as the Groff court noted, really did go into a discussion about substantial costs and not just focusing in on that de minimis cost standard. So ultimately, the court in Groff says, in order to show an undue hardship, we're not focusing on that de minimis cost. We're also not adopting that ADA standard. But what we have to look at is whether granting the accommodation would result in substantial increased costs in relation to the conduct of the employer's particular business. So that's sort of new language for us in discussing that undue hardship standard under Title VII. Parker, it's a higher standard than it was before, right? I mean, this does, the Supreme Court says, look, we're just clarifying what the law is. But in fact, this is a much higher standard now, right, for employers to meet to show that there's an undue hardship than existed before. Would you agree with that? For employers that were looking at prior guidance, prior cases by district courts and appellate courts across the country and saying what we're required to do is demonstrate a de minimis cost, you're looking at a much higher standard now. You made another great point, and that is the court increases the standard, but also said, but we're not going to equate it with the ADA undue hardship standard. So now employers are left with two different standards, both of which are heightened standards under two different laws. So what do employers do now? Right. So I think one of the things that we need to think about in terms of how we move forward with this standard is that when we're getting religious accommodation requests, we're thinking much more closely about undue hardship. Historically, a lot of the consideration revolved around the impact on colleagues, right? The inconvenience to coworkers of requesting that a certain day of the week an employee not work. And I think it's pretty clear following the Supreme Court's decision that in most instances that don't involve a formal seniority program, that's not going to be enough. Now, there was a concurring opinion that suggested that for some employers, that inconvenience to their labor pool could be enough. But in general, that's not going to be enough. And despite the court's guidance indicating that this is not the same standard as the ADA, I would really still be looking for that major operational impact and something that you're able to really document. And this may be a situation in which employers now try to shoot for some trial accommodations and see what the impact is going to be over an abbreviated period of time where they test out whether the accommodation really is going to be creating undue hardship. 
that's really great guidance for employers to be thinking about it in the same terms. Because before it was easy to say, this is a religious accommodation claim. The burden's lower. It was easier to deny those. Employers are going to need to spend more time on these considerations, aren't they? Definitely. And I think one of the things to be mindful of now that we're giving these sort of requests more consideration in terms of the undue hardship standard is, look, I would not be surprised to see some employees who feel that they are being inconvenienced by a colleague's religious accommodation request, submitting requests of their own. And as we we're talking about the undue hardship, but as we know, when you get these requests, you typically aren't scrutinizing the sincerity of the belief that the employee is asserting. So being mindful that that could be a reaction. Now, let's think about the undue hardship standard and, you know, a company that has 10 employees where every single one of those 10 employees is saying, well, I need Saturday off. The company needs to operate on Saturday. Well, granting all 10 of those requests, certainly would be an undue hardship. So figuring out how to manage something like that will be important. I also think it's this is going to make more difficult responding to religious objections to employer LGBTQ initiatives. I think it's going to be a situation in which employers are going to have to be mindful of the fact that they really do need to dig in and analyze each situation and get into the details and making sure that they are not, for example, requiring employees to adopt a belief system. Some EEOC guidance on the point says, look, you can ask an employee to respect their colleagues, but you can't require an employee to value those colleagues because that's requiring someone to adopt a belief system. So just thinking about when employees maybe want to opt out from particular programs how that impacts the company and whether that really does create an undue hardship under the elevated standard. Really good point. This is a court that's been really protective of religious rights. We've seen that in the last couple of years, but the makeup of this decision, I think, is also impactful as employers kind of consider implementation. Do you want to talk a little bit about what the vote looked like? We don't normally talk about that, but this is an interesting case because this is not something we've seen very much from this court, right? This was a rare, unanimous opinion. And one of the things that I think was most interesting about the unanimity here is that, you know, Susan, you and I practice this stuff all the time. And that de minimis standard was, that was like rote for us. But the government, the plaintiff both said, that's not the right standard. We should be applying something else. And so to have both parties coming to the court and saying the standard that everyone accepts is wrong, really, I think, opened the door to the court to say, well, we're going to agree with the parties in front of us and change the standard. And I'll tell you, Justice Sotomayor filed a concurring opinion and said that, look, there might be some instances in which inconvenience to other employees, that's enough to create an undue hardship. But boy, she didn't question the rationale of the majority opinion. She didn't say they got this piece wrong, but this piece right. Everyone really seemed to be on the same page about this. So I I would say don't think that this is going to be something that's going to be undermined if there's a political shift in the Supreme Court in coming years. Yeah, I really thought that that was very interesting. And I'm glad you elaborated on that, Parker. 
Now, one good positive thing that was in the decision, I think, for employers to make them feel a little bit better is that they said that even though we're clarifying the standard and you all have been wrong for all this time, right? You've been applying the wrong standard, even though we're just clarifying it, that probably a lot of the decisions still came out the right way, that employers did properly accommodate in light of all of the circumstances. And I think that that provides some reassurance that processes that a lot of employers are using are proper and probably will will withstand scrutiny under this higher level. I would tend to agree with that. I think it will be interesting. I mean, I can say I'm handling litigation that involves religious accommodations and the Groff opinion is something that the parties are addressing. And so some of it remains to be seen, but I think that that guidance from the court is very helpful. And the court also said, look, the EEOC guidance that's out there, we're not going to promise you that it's all right, but most of it looks pretty good to us. And so I think it's safe to keep relying upon it. I, I didn't check this morning, but as of a couple of days ago, the EEOC's religious accommodation guidance hadn't been updated. It didn't have a caveat at the top that said, well, gee, subsequent to the Groff decision, we've got to reconsider all of this. So wait and see whether they revise their guidance, but there didn't seem to be any sort of emergency update like they do when there's an injunction of one of their pieces of guidance. Good advice. And there is no doubt we end where we begin. And that is this still is a big change and employers are going to have to make some changes going forward. So Parker, after our listeners hear this podcast and they're as excited as we are to talk about and think about changes in the law from this Supreme Court term, what do they need to be doing the next morning as they get up? What are the takeaways here for what employers need to be doing in response to the Groff decision? Yeah, so I think that moving forward, being sure that you are actively engaging in the interactive process, when a religious accommodation request comes in, we're not just looking at the impact and saying, yep, that's, that's going to be inconvenient for us, so we're going to deny the request, but really engaging more thoroughly in the same way that you would with an employee who's requesting an accommodation under the ADA, and that may mean some oral dialogue, and it may mean some written dialogue to the extent that dialogue's oral, definitely documenting the communications back and forth. And when there's going to be a decision that is not in the employee's favor, that there's going to be an undue hardship, that's got to be really well documented. And it should be as objective as possible, right? So we're not relying on subjective factors to deny the requested accommodation. It also means exploring alternative accommodations. And in some cases, maybe not a lot, but in some cases, revisiting requests that have been received from employees recently and assessing whether those were denied under the improper standard. All excellent advice. I feel like all is well with the world listeners. You heard lawyers say, have a process and document it. Everything's good, right? That's what we always say. And um, it certainly holds true here. Parker, this has been fabulous. Thank you for this interesting discussion, which is certainly very timely as we just have this Groff decision and we're all analyzing how we implement it. Your comments and insight was incredibly helpful. Great. Thanks, Susan. It was such a pleasure to be here and to get to talk through the Groff decision with you. And I hope that it's been helpful to everyone who's listening. I'm sure it has been. And I'm hoping that we come back because I think that there is a lot of 
ground here still to be plowed in terms of lower courts deciding how to implement this. And we may be talking more about the implementation of the Groff decision in the future, and I certainly will look forward to that. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in with us. If you would like to connect with Parker, please click on his bio in the description of this podcast. We also encourage you to reach out to any of our lawyers around the world by selecting Find a Lawyer on the ELA website at ela.law. In addition, search the ELA website where you can sign up to receive invitations to our upcoming webinars, download white papers and on-demand content from our online library, or access the ELA's exclusive Global Employer Handbook. You've been listening to Employment Matters, a podcast brought to you by the Employment Law Alliance, the world's largest network of labor and employment lawyers from the best law firms around the globe. I'm Susan Deniker. Thanks so much for listening.